0: chapter six of around the camp fire by charles roberts this LibriVox recording is in the public domain chapter six the camp on squatook river part one that night around the campfire, stories were once more in demand stranion was first called upon and he at once responded i'll call this story saved by a sliver and ask you to observe the neat alliteration said stranion in the autumn of eighteen eighty seven i was hunting in those wildernesses about the headwaters of that famous salmon river the southwest miramichi i had old jake christison with me the best woodsman on the river and i had also my inseparable companion and most faithful follower jeff a large bull terrier jeff was not a hunting dog in any accepted sense of the word he had no inherited instinct for the chase but he had remarkable intelligence unconquerable pluck unquestioning obedience and hence a certain fitness for any emergency that might arise in the woods he always crept noiselessly at my heels as unembarrassing and self-effacing as my shadow one morning we set out from camp soon after breakfast to follow up some fresh caribou signs which jake had just reported we had gone but half a mile into the thickets when the woodsman discovered that he had left his hunting knife by the campfire where he had been using it to slice the breakfast bacon. To go without his hunting knife could not for a moment be thought of, so he turned back hurriedly to get it while I strolled on at a leisurely pace with Jeff at my heels. My way led me through a little wide ravine in the center of which lay the fragments of a giant pine shattered years ago by lightning and bleached by storm and sun a portion of the trunk remained yet upright a tall splinter or sliver as the woodsmen call it split from the rest of the trunk by some electric freak and pointing like a stern white finger toward the spot of open sky above whence the bolt had fallen saturated with rosins the sliver was practically incorruptible and time had only served to harden its lance-like point and edge a few feet beyond this blasted pine the woods grew thick a dusky confusion of great gnarled trunks and twisting limbs as i sauntered up to the foot of that whitened trunk jeff suddenly thrust himself in front of me with a low almost inaudible growl and stood obstinately still as if to bar my farther advance instantly my glance penetrated the thicket and fell upon a huge panther crouching flat along a fallen tree of almost the same colour as the brute's hide it was the panther's cold green eyes indeed that so promptly revealed him to me he was in the attitude to spring and ordering jeff to heal i sank on one knee cocking my rifle and taking aim at the same time for there was not a moment to lose even as i pulled the trigger the animal dashed upon me in the very face of the flash the suddenness of the assault of course upset my aim but by good chance the ball went through the animal's fore shoulder breaking the bone i was hurled backward into a hollow under the fallen fragments of the pine tree and i felt the panther's teeth go through my left arm thrusting myself as far as possible beneath the shelter of the log i reached for the long knife at my belt just as i got it out of its sheath the panther with an angry cry dropped my arm and turned half round while keeping his place upon my prostrate body my faithful jeff had come to the rescue of his master and had sunk his terrible teeth into the root of the panther's tail the snarling beast doubled back upon himself and struggled to seize the dog between his jaws but jeff was too wary and active for this and the panther would not leave his post advantage on my body he was a sagacious beast and perceived that if he could let me up he would have two enemies to contend with instead of one as for me in my restricted position i found myself unable to use my knife with any effect i lay still abiding my opportunity and watching with intense but curiously impersonal interest the good fight my bull terrier was making i was not conscious of much pain in my arm but the shock of the panther's assault seemed in some way to have weakened my vital force presently the panther finding it impossible to release himself from that deadly grip of jeff's threw himself over on his back curling himself up like a cat, and raked the dog severely with his dangerous hind claws. The change in our assailant's position released my right arm, and at once I drove the knife into his side square to the hilt. I failed to touch a vital spot, but the wound diverted his attention, and Jeff, bleeding and furious, was enabled to secure a new hold. The panther was a splendid beast, and fought as I never before or since have seen a panther fight. Had it not been for my shot, which broke his shoulder, it would have gone hard with both Jeff and me. As it was, however, the panther found his work cut out for him, though I was so nearly helpless from my position that Jeff had to bear the brunt of the battle. The brave terrier was getting badly cut up i could not see very well what went on being at the bottom of the fight and my breath nearly knocked out of me but all of a sudden a rifle shot rang in my ears the smoke and flame filled my eyes and the body of the panther stiffened out convulsively the next instant old jake was dragging me out from beneath and anxiously inquiring about my damages reassuring him as to my condition i sat down rather faintly on the trunk while jeff at my feet lay licking his scratches the old woodsman leaned upon his empty rifle contemplatively scanning our vanquished foe and loudly praising jeff suddenly he broke off in the midst of a sentence and glanced up into the branches ahead of him gray gee of that he exclaimed in a startled voice springing backward and snatching for a fresh cartridge while jeff jumped to his feet with a wrathful snarl in the same breath before i could realize what was the matter i heard the female panther made of him we had killed utter her fearful scream of rage and pain from a giant limb overhead her long tawny body flashed out into the sunlight descending upon our devoted party like a yellow thunderbolt weak and dazed as i was i shut my eyes with a sense of sick disgust and weariness and a strange feeling of infinite suspense there was a curious sound of tearing and scratching but no shock came and i opened my eyes in astonishment there was jake calmly slipping a cartridge into his rifle there was jeff standing just as i had seen him when i closed my eyes it seemed hours but it had been merely an eye wink the fraction of a second but where was the panther my inward query was answered on the instant a wild and indescribable screeching spitting and snarling arose mixed with a sound of claws tearing desperately at the hard wood of the pine trunk the panther was held aloft in the air impaled on the sliver around which she spun madly like a frightful wheel of tawny fire her efforts to free herself were tremendous but there was no escape the sliver was hard as steel and as inexorable suddenly jeff sprang at the creature but in his impetuosity missed his hold and got a lightning blow from one of those great claws almost laying his side open the brave dog carries the marks of that wound to this day his revenge was instantaneous for his next leap gained its object and his jaws fixed themselves securely in the panther's haunches the whole wild scene had thus far been like a dream to me and the yellings and snarlings sounded far off and indistinct the only reality seemed to me the still brown and green of the forest the moveless tree-tops the cheerful morning sun streaming down into the little glade and the old woodsman standing in his contemplative attitude watching the gyrating form of the panther then on a sudden my blood seemed to flow with a rush of new force and a sense of reality came back to me i jumped up slipped a cartridge into my rifle and with a timely bullet put the unhappy beast out of its pain in order to release the panther's body we had to cut down the sliver the blood-stained top of which with its point sharp and spear-like as if fashioned by the hand of man now hangs as a treasured relic upon my library wall right beneath as a foot-rug to my writing-table and a favourite napping-place for jeff is the panther-skin with two holes in it where the sliver went through the other skin i gave to old jake as a memorial of the adventure but it is probable he sold it at the earliest fair opportunity for it was a comely and valuable skin stranion said i when he concluded your jeff is one of the dogs whom i am proud to have known I HAVE ONLY MET, IN ALL MY CAREER, ONE BETTER DOG, AND THAT WAS MY BRAVE OLD DAN OF BLESSED AND MANY-SCARRED MEMORY. BIGGER, NOT BETTER DOG, INTERRUPTED STRANION STERNLY. WELL, WE WON'T ARGUE OVER IT. THEY WERE BOTH OF THE SAME STOCK, ANYWAY, AND I FEAR WE WILL NOT LOOK UPON THEIR LIKE AGAIN, eh, STRANION. NOW YOU'RE TALKING, O.M., RESPONDED STRANION WARMLY. BUT TELL US THAT GREAT YARN ABOUT DAN'S BATTLE no not to-night was my answer it would seem like making rivals of dan and jeff which they never were but always sworn chums jeff is enough for one night dan shall be commemorated on another let sam give us a bear story now all right said sam here's one in which stranagan and i were both concerned noted down by the name of skidded landing three winters ago as some of you will remember stranian and i took a month in the lumber woods it was drawing on towards spring as we were both good snowshoers we managed to visit several widely scattered camps at all we were received hospitably with unlimited pork and beans hot bread and tea and at each we made a stay of several days for our climax we selected that camp which promised us the most picturesque and exciting experiences at the breaking up of the ice this was evans camp on green river where the logs were gathered in what is known as a rough-and-tumble landing a form which entails much excitement and often grave peril to the axman whose work is to cut the brow loose as it happened however the most stirring adventure that fell to our personal experience on that trip was one we encountered at clark's camp on the Tobique, where we stayed but three days this camp but one of the many centers of operation of the great lumbering firm of clark & Company, was generally known as skidded landing and here let me explain the terms brow drive rough and tumble landing and skidded landing In lumbermen's parlance, the logs of the winter's chopping, hauled and piled on the river bank where they can conveniently be launched into the water upon the breaking up of the ice, are termed collectively a brow of logs. When once the logs have been put into the water and shepherded by the lumbermen with their pike-poles, are flocking wildly seaward on the swollen current, they and their guardians together constitute the drive the task the lumbermen are now engaged upon is termed stream driving and laborious perilous work it is especially on those rivers which are much obstructed by rapids rocks and shoals a brow of logs is a landing when the logs are piled from the water's edge a landing may be either a rough-and-tumble or a skidded landing the rough-and-tumble which good woodsmen generally regard as a shiftless affair is made by driving a few heavy timbers into the mud at the water's edge at the foot of a sloping bank these form a strong and lofty breastwork into the space behind are tumbled the logs helter-skelter from the top of the bank as they are hauled from the woods all through the winter the space keeps filling up and by spring the strain on the sustaining pile is sometimes tremendous when the thaw comes and the river rises the ice goes out with a rush then the accumulation of logs has to be set free this is done by cutting away the most important of the sustaining timbers whereupon the others snap and the logs go roaring out in a terrific avalanche it is easy to realize the perils of cutting out this kind of landing if the landing has been unskillfully or carelessly located the peril of the enterprise is greatly increased the skidded landing is a much more businesslike affair in this kind of structure the logs are placed systematically first a layer of logs is deposited parallel with the river's edge across these at right angles are laid a few light poles technically termed skids on these another layer of logs parallel to the water and so on to the completion of the structure with this species of landing to release the logs is a very simple matter There is nothing to do but quietly roll them off, layer by layer, into the stream, which snatches them and hurries them away. From this it will be seen why we did not elect to stay long at skidded landing, but while we were there something happened in this fashion. On the second day of our stay in the camp it chanced that Stranion was lazy. When I set forth to examine some snares which I had set the night before, he chose to snooze in his bunk rather than accompany me as events befell he proved to have made the wiser choice of course i took my gun with me i was thinking of small game exclusively during our wanderings hitherto we had seen nothing larger than a fox and both barrels were loaded with cartridges containing number four shot but with unaccountable thoughtlessness i neglected to take any heavier ammunition in my pocket yet that was the only time on the trip that heavier ammunition was needed i visited my snares and found in one of them a rabbit the boys'll appreciate a rabbit stew thought i as i hitched the frozen carcass to my belt a little farther on i started another rabbit which i shot and hitched beside its fellow and then i struck out blithely for camp before i had retraced my path many paces i came face to face with an immense bear which apparently had been dogging my steps we halted and eyed each other sharply i thought i detected a guilty uneasiness in the animal's gaze as if he were properly ashamed of himself for his ungentlemanly conduct presuming upon this i spoke in an authoritative voice and took one or two firm steps in advance i expected the animal to step aside deferentially and let me pass but i had forgotten that this was a hungry season for bears the brute lumbered forward with alacrity as if ferociously surprised at my readiness to furnish him a much-needed luncheon in my trepidation i did not let him get near enough before i fired my solitary cartridge had i let him come to close quarters the heavy birdshot would have served the full purpose of a bullet but no i was in too much of a hurry The charge had room to scatter before it reached my assailant, and the pellets only served to cut him up badly about the head, without in the least interfering with his fighting capacity. With something between a grunt and a howl of pain and fury, he dashed upon me, and I, dropping my cherished weapon in a panic, made a mighty bound to one side and darted toward the open river. I wanted free play for my snowshoes and no risk from hidden stumps in the woods the snow was soft enough to give me some advantage over my pursuer i gained on him when doing my utmost but being gaunt from his long fast and very light in proportion to his prodigious strength his progress with that awkward gallop of his was terrifyingly rapid moreover i had vividly before my mind's eye the consciousness of what would be my instant fate should i trip on a buried stump or root or plunge into some snow-veiled bush that would tangle my snow-shoes once out upon the river i breathed more freely but the bear was hard upon my heels here the snow was more firmly packed and he travelled faster i ceased to increase the little distance between us after two piercing yells for help i saved my breath for the race before me i was really not very far from the camp but the trees and a high point intercepted my cries and the wind blew them away so they failed to reach Stranion's ears nevertheless it happened that stranian grew restless about the time of my first meeting with the bear he strolled down to the landing which was perhaps three hundred yards from the camp seated himself upon a spruce log and began to dig off with his pocket knife the perfumed amber-like globules of gum He was engaged in this innocent if not engrossing occupation when he caught sight of me racing desperately around the jutting point immediately above the landing at the sight of my terror he sprang to his feet and was about to rush back to camp for his gun but straightway the bear appeared and so close behind me that he knew there was no time to get the weapon the emergency was upon him he knew something had to be done at once fortunately he was ready of resource he dropped down and crawled swiftly to the edge of the landing the track i was following led along close under the front of the landing then turned the corner sharply and ran straight up to the camp the bear was now gaining on me he was not more than thirty or forty feet behind i was beginning to realize that he must catch me before i could reach the camp Coming to this conclusion, I was about to put forth all my remaining breath in one despairing shriek for help, then to turn and make what fight I could with my sheath-knife, which had already been used to cut away the dangling rabbits, when out of the corner of my eye I caught sight of Stranion on the top of the logs. I took one look at his face and saw its look of readiness. He grinned encouragingly, but put his finger on his lips for silence. At the sight of him, I felt new vigor flow through all my veins. With fresh speed, I raced along past the front of the landing, turned the corner, and bounded up the slope. Reaching the hard track, I kicked my feet clear of the snowshoes, and started to climb up the logs to join Stranion. At this moment, Stranion found his opportunity. The bear came plunging along on my tracks, immediately beneath the face of the logs, and now, with a stake which he had snatched up, Stranion pried mightily upon the two front logs of the top tier the great timbers rolled swiftly over the edge one of them the heaviest was just in time it caught the animal over the hindquarters and crushed him to the ice when Strannion's triumphant shout proclaimed the success of his attack i threw myself down between two logs and lay there gasping while Stranion returned to the camp got his gun and put the wounded animal out of his pain "'Later in the day—much later—Stranion and I, together, went over the ground I had traversed with such celerity. We recovered the rabbits, and also, after a persistent search in the snow, the gun which I had so basely abandoned. I think that is a pretty straight account of what happened,' said Stranion, and now we will hear something from Magnus's uncle.' no said magnus i'll tell you something my cousin rob raven told me about a time he had with a mad stallion there is perhaps no beast said bob more terrible more awe-inspiring than a stallion that has gone mad such an animal bursting all the fetters of his inherited dread of man seems inspired with a frightful craving to take vengeance for the immemorial servitude of his kind as a rule he has no quarrel with anything but humanity often with other horses he associates amicably and toward the cattle and lesser animals that may be with him in the fields he displays the indifference of disdain but let man woman or child come within his vision and his homicidal mania breaks into flame i have had several disagreeable encounters with vicious horses but only once was i so unfortunate as to fall in with one possessed by this homicidal mania my escape was so narrow and the experience left so deep an impression upon my mind that i have felt ever since an instinctive distrust for this most noble of domestic animals one autumn when i was about eighteen i was taking a tramp through the eastern townships of quebec preparatory to resuming work at college i reached the little village of maybury one day at noon and dropped into the village inn for luncheon the village was in a state of excitement over a tragedy which had taken place that very morning and which was speedily detailed to me by every one with whom i came in contact the most authentic account as it appeared was that given me by the proprietor of the inn you see he answered eagerly in response to my question as to the cause of the general excitement a boy at old joe cook was a bringin up on his farm was jest been killed by a mad horse the boy come out from liverpool last june two year ago with a lot more poor little beggars like him and old joe kinder took a fancy to him and was a bringin him up like he was his own son the horses is most runnin at pasture now in the back lots yonder and atkinson stallion which has always had the name of bein kind as a lamb is pasturin with the rest but he seemed somehow to have got mad all of a sudden this morning early as cook's boy was coming home from driving the cows out on to the uplands he found the horses all crowding round the gate leadin' on to the meadows he knowed some of em might try and shove through if he didn't take care so he just kind of shoot em off with the stick they all scattered away savin' only Atkinson's stallion and he wheeling round with a kind of screech as would make the marrer freeze in your bones grabbed the boy right by the back of the neck and shook him like old tige there'd shake a rat i guess the poor boy's neck was broken right off for he never cried out nor nothing steve barnes was jest then a-coming up the meadow road and he seen it all he yelled and run up as fast as he could but afore he could get to the fence the stallion had jumped on the boy two or three times and was a-standin lookin' at him curious like steve seen that boy was dead but he started to climb over and drive off the brute but as soon as the stallion seen steve he let another screech and run at him with his mouth wide open and steve had nothing for it but to hop back quick over the fence seein as the boy was deader'n a the door-nail steve didn't think it'd be common sense to risk his life just for the dead body but he stayed there a stone in the brood which was just spilin to get at him after about an hour the other horses came back and the stallion forgot about the boy and went off with him way back behind the hills and steve got the body and carried it home and what have they done to the brute i inquired with a fierce anger stirring in my veins well answered boniface this afternoon there's a crowd a going out to catch him and to tie him up if he's too bad for that and if i know anything about horses he's just gone mad stark mad why they'll have to shoot him off-hand to save their own necks i wonder if i'll run any risk of meetin him i queried rather anxiously i had no weapon but my heavy walking-stick and i had an almost sentimental regard for the integrity of my neck which way you'd be bound inquired boniface for blissville i answered oh said he you're all right then the horses are a feedin out yonder to the northeast and blissville lays south it was with few misgivings that i now resumed my journey in the tonic autumn air my spirits rose exultantly and i walked with a brisk step whistling and knocking off the golden tops of the hawk-bit with my cane the country about maybury is a high rolling plateau for the most part open pasture ground with here and there a shallow wooded ravine and here and there a terrace of loose boulders with bramble thickets growing between i was soon beyond the cultivated fields past the last of the fences i had climbed one of those rocky terraces and made a couple of hundred yards across the delightful breezy down when behind a low knoll i caught sight of a group of horses quietly pasturing and remembered with a qualm the morning's tragedy could this i asked myself anxiously be the herd containing that mad stallion i halted and was about to retrace my steps unobtrusively in the hope that i had escaped their notice but it was too late two or three of the animals raised their heads and looked toward me one in the group snorted with a peculiar half whinny at the sound of which my heart sank then i caught sight of one in the centre that seemed to be jumping up in the air off all four feet at once the next moment this creature a great black animal appeared outside the group plunging and biting at his flank two or three times he sprang into the air in that strange spasmodic way i had already observed and threw his head backward over his right shoulder with an indescribable gesture of menace and defiance then with a short dreadful sound he darted toward me open-mouthed up to this point i had stood my ground eyeing the brute resolutely with an appearance of fearlessness which i was very far from feeling but now i saw that my only hope and that a desperate one lay in flight i was accounted at college a first-rate sprinter and now i ran my best the two hundred yards that lay between me and the terrace i had just left must have been covered in not much more than twenty seconds but as i reached the brow of the slope the mad brute was close on my heels i had no time to check myself and even less notion to do so in fact i fell and rolled headlong down dropping bruised and bewildered into a crevice between two boulders the next instant i saw the black mass of my pursuer dashing over me in a splendid leap Before he could turn and seize me, I had rolled farther into the crevice, and found that one of the rocks overhung, so as to form a little narrow cave, into which I could squeeze myself so far as to be quite beyond the animal's reach. Never before or since have I discovered so unexpected and providential a refuge. The raving stallion came bounding and leaping up to the very door of my burrow, but I felt safe he would roll back his lips lay his ears flat to his head spring straight into the air and shriek through his wide red nostrils his fury and his challenge the latter i did not think it incumbent upon me to accept i waved it in disdainful silence for a time the brute kept up his boundings and those strange proud jerkings of his head but at length he actually tried to stretch his neck into my burrow and reach me with his frightful naked teeth this was a vain attempt but i resented it and picking up a stone which lay at hand i struck him a heavy blow on the nose this brought the blood from those cruel nostrils and made him even if possible more furious in his rage but he returned to his former demonstrations it must have been for nearly an hour that i watched the mad creatures antics from my den the rest of the herd had approached and were feeding indifferently about the foot of the terrace from time to time my enemy would join them and snatch a few restless mouthfuls of grass but almost immediately he would return to his post at my door and his vigilant watch was on me all the time i was beginning to cast about somewhat anxiously for a way of escape from this imprisonment when i saw the pasturing herd suddenly toss up their heads and then go scurrying away across the down my adversary saw this too and turned his attention away from me i peered forth cautiously and to my profound relief i observed a party of men several carrying ropes and halters and others armed with rifles approaching below the terrace one man walked a little ahead of the others and held out a peck measure in which he shook something which i presumed to have been oats the stallion eyed them somberly for an instant and then his mane rose like a crest and his head went back with a shrill cry in the selfsame way as he had greeted my appearance he bounced into the air once or thrice and then he dashed upon the party the man with the oats fell back with wonderful alacrity and the fellows who carried halters seemed bent upon effacing themselves in the humblest manner possible one tall grey-shirted woodsman however stepped to the front raised his rifle and drew a bead upon the approaching fury while two or three of the others held their shots in reserve there was a moment of breathless suspense then the fine thin note of the woodsman's rifle rang out and the stallion sprang aside with a shriek and stumbled forward upon his knees almost instantly however he recovered himself and rushed upon his opponents with undiminished ferocity i held my breath he was almost upon the party now then two more rifles flashed from the sparksmen standing moveless in their tracks and the mad brute rose straight up on his hind legs and fell over backward, dead. I stepped out to welcome my rescuers, and detailed to them my adventures. They had been wondering who or what it was that the brute was laying siege to. There was so much, in fact, to talk about, and I found myself for the moment so important a figure, that I returned to Maybury for that evening, and there had to retell my story at least a score of times. "'If it's my turn now,' and I suppose it is,' said Ranulph, i can't pretend to give you anything so blood-curdling as this story of magnus's but i'll do my little best to make an angry bull moose as interesting as a mad stallion take this down o m as an adventure with a bull moose End of chapter six part one